I pick up the phone and it's my sister. And she's on the phone crying and she's just like, I just had a bad feeling that something was going to happen to you and I wanted to call you. And I'm just like, I'm going to kill myself. And so she's like, no, no, no. So she calls my mom over to the phone. And my mom picks up on the other on the other phone. That's when, you know, we weren't on cell phones back then, right? So we had house phones. So my mom picks up the other phone and was just like, we love you. We love you. We're going to come and pick you up. Don't do it. And I'm just like, if you come up here to my school, you're going to find a dead body. Like, I, I, I just can't take it anymore. And my mom just kept saying, I love you. I love you. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm just like, just, just, just leave me alone. I hang up the phone and I just cried out Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do, Jesus. I'm so tired. I have no idea. I hadn't been going to church any time where I was at college. I don't know why I cried out Jesus. I mean, I know why now, because probably my mother was at home praying for me in Cleveland, but I just cried out Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this peace, this this calmness came over me. It was like everything was so quiet and still. And I just felt this peace come over me like... It's going to be okay. Like, don't do it. I got you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rooted in Christ podcast. My name is Eric Stevens. I'm the founder of Redwood Christian Ministries. Look, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this episode for a while. I got the last real G with me. Yes, yes, she already laughing. She already about to spit her water out. I'm about to have some fun with this episode. Janice Surratt, how are you doing, sister? I'm doing well, brother. How are you? I'm happy. I'm happy you're here. Yes. I got the joy flowing through me right now. <laughs> it could be the KFC I ate before I got here. I hope not. I, re- I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> this is about to be crazy. Girl, how how you how you doing? How was how your day? What's up? Doing well, man. Just got off work, ready to, you know, have a great conversation with you and, you know, move forward with with what we got going on here. So, yeah. Speaking of here, we are on location in New Life Church in Lakewood, Ohio. I hijacked this place from time to time because it's a great spot to record my podcast. So, and I got the keys to the building, so they can't really lock me out. They let you get the keys? I don't know if I even had an option to get the keys. (laughs) They was just like, here, then that's how I know my responsibility list got Uh longer. You got to be careful when you get the keys to the kingdom for real. <laughs> like, yes, I agree. You'd be here in obscene hours. I agree. Doing all kind of stuff. It has its benefits, though. Yes. Like recording studio space. <laughs> there you go. I'm not even going to play with this too much longer because I got the last real G on this podcast. I got my favorite G on this podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and just let you dive right into it, just about your story, your testimony. Tell the audience that doesn't just a little bit more about you. Where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Yeah, so I originally grew up in Cleveland Heights. So I grew up there. And when people, you know, ask me questions like that, I typically tell them I had, you know, one of the greatest starts a kid could have, honestly. My parents, you know, raised us. I have three other sisters, so it was four of us in the household. So it was always just enough to play board games. And just looking back on my childhood, I remember playing games and just running through the house and snowball fights and hot chocolate. So I had a really great childhood. I mean, we we weren't rich, but we weren't poor. So I would say we were middle class. And so I have an older sister who's about four years older, then two years older, and then I have a twin sister. So we were very close in age. So it made it fun. And, uh, you know, I just I just remember those good times. We didn't really take a lot of vacations. So what we did for vacation was Geauga Lake. So that was like our summertime fun. And then, you know, if mom got a bonus or something, we go to Cedar Point. Oh, <laughs> and I remember one time we went to Kings Island and almost got hit by a train. But that's a whole nother story. Yes. The train in the park or the train on the way to the park? On the way to the park. Dang. You yes. Make it Mom, mom's car stalled out. And you know, I'm sure it was God that kind of got it going back again. And we made it and we celebrated and you know, got some funnel cake and got on some rides. And it was a good time. But, you know, in line with my testimony, I, from a young age, I always knew that there was something different about me. Some of the earliest childhood memories, I would probably say second grade is when I had a first encounter with some of my, in, like, rec, like recognizing my internal feelings. So prime example, 
Now, I was in second grade, so I don't know why I was talking on the phone. <laughs> I have no idea because my, my older sister couldn't talk on the phone until she was 15, but I think I was my mom's favorite. So, But for some reason, I was on the phone, and I remember talking to this this girl that was in my class. Let's just call her Pam. And I remember that she just had this long black hair. It was really silky, and I just... Like all the boys would pull her hair and, and, and make fun of her and like talk bad about her. And I just wanted to protect her. Like I wanted to be nice to her. I wanted to always be around her. And I would like fight the boys that were messing with her. That sounds like you. Yeah. It's just like leave her alone. Like, you know, she's nice and, and stop messing with her. And for some reason I had, I had, we were on the phone and, you know, I don't know what we were talking about. Cause again, this was many, many years ago. And I just remember saying, you know what, Pam, I love you. And her reaction was, oh, that's gross. You're gay? That's nasty. And she hung up. And immediately I felt like this shame, this embarrassment, this hurt. Like, what did I say wrong? Like, what did I say wrong? And so I remember running to my mom and saying, mom, mom, mom. And she's like, "What's? why are you crying? And I was like, well, this is what happened. And she says, well, I love you and I'm not gay. And immediately I just knew that the way that I love my mom and my sisters was not the way that I was feeling about this, this girl. And so I knew that it was different. Even at a, I mean, second grade, even at second grade, I knew that it was just something different. And another incident, I don't know how old I was. I want to say maybe around 10, 11. I was at my grandmother's house and all the four girls, my sisters and I were sitting on the couch and it must have been a holiday because we usually visited my grandma. I mean, occasionally, but most times are on holidays. And, and I remember one of my family members looked us up and down and said, you know, one of you is going to be gay. It happens in every generation. We're just trying to figure out which one it is. And, and I didn't know what gay meant. But on those two incidences, I realized that that was a bad word. It felt like that it was something wrong with that word and that you didn't want to be that word. And so... From then on, I went to high school and I played sports and just really had a very average childhood. But I knew that 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 the feelings that I was having was everybody else wasn't having those feelings. And there was an incident in high school where there was a girl who was just openly in that lifestyle, started flirting with me and in the open. And it embarrassed me and it just brought shame to me. And I didn't know what those words meant, but I knew that that was the feeling looking back. I knew that's what the feeling was. It was shame and embarrassment. And it was just like, get away from me. Like, so I kind of rejected her, was said some words to her, like, get away from me. And um, and so those were the three main incidences in my childhood that I remember that kind of molded my be around that, molded my experience and perception of that reality. And so graduating went to college and that's when I really started to dive more into that kind of lifestyle. So I had a, at the university that I went to, it was, I got an assigned what was called a frog and that stands for freshman room orientation guide. And so I was assigned a girl who was just crazy. I mean, she was just, she was an art student. She was fun. She was bubbly. And let's just say her name was Maggie. I'm about to say it can't be Pam. No, it can't be Pam. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to be discreet just for their, you know, their protection or whatever. But I think her, let's just say her name was Maggie. And so Maggie took us around campus, showed us where the bookstore was and how to register for classes. And so they were guiding these freshmen to kind of help them get acclimated to college life. And so I remember after the, the tour and we got settled into our dorm rooms, she was on my floor and, uh, you know, she just was like, hey, if anybody's looking for drinks or weed, come to my room. And I was just like, wow, is this, is this college? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, okay. Yes, it You're is. not even playing around. Like, you just went straight for it. Right? So, so needless to say, many parties happened in her room, right? So she, she was a little bit, again, she was a little bit older than us. So she had access to alcohol. I think her, you know, boyfriend, you know, sold weed. And so she had access to this. And so we'd be in her room, you know, not necessarily smoking, but we'd be out, you know, drinking with her and then going to house parties with her. She just kind of took a couple of us under her wing as like, you know, let me show you how it was done. And so more and more, I kept, you know, coming down to her room and just hanging out with her and her roommates. And we just became best friends. And then eventually it became a little bit more than that. So 
I remember one night after, you know, a, a night of partying, everybody was kind of like fouling out the room. It was probably two, three, possibly four in the morning. We had some late nights. And I just remember like we were just chilling, hanging, watching TV. And she was just like, you know what, Janice? Like, you are so awesome. I've never met anybody like you. You're so fun. You're so chill. You're so down to earth. I really do love you. And I just looked at her and I was like, you know what? I love you too. And then it was like, it was just like this moment that we had where it went from being friends to, no, I really love you. And so we wind up, you know, hooking up and we continued in our relationship for about three years. She wound up breaking up with her boyfriend and we were inseparable. I mean, when you saw her, you saw me. When you saw me, you saw her. And, uh, you know, as we progressed throughout these years, we wind up getting an apartment together and just became, you know, girlfriends. We had actually made plans that third year to move to California and get married and adopt. And so it was, I mean, this was the life that I was planning for myself. And, you know, I forgot to mention growing up, my mom took us to church, you know, so we weren't like church kids where we were in church all day, every day, but we went every Sunday to church. And I remember it being something special because we had to dress up. So we would have to put on our stockings, our penny loafers, our nice dresses. My mom would, you know, do our hair up and she would line up all four girls and put a quarter in our hand and say, this is for the offering basket. Don't lose it. And so I knew at a young age that church was important, but I didn't know why it was important. And I mean, we went until I was 18 and then I went to college. So I had a background in church, but I, I if you ask me today, like what I learned, I, I can't remember. But I knew that we had homework every week and we had to answer questions the following week from the homework. So th there was seeds being planted, you know, day, week in and week, week out. I remember the classroom. It was in the attic. I mean, it was a corner church little church, but we were, so the kids were in the attic and I just remember my teachers, but I don't remember anything that learned, I learned. So I go to college and that's the, that's the foundation that I have, but I didn't have a role model. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have someone to disciple me. It was, this is college. You're free to do whatever you want to do. And so I did. I partied, I drank and started living this lifestyle. But in this lifestyle, it was, it was secret. So, you know, Maggie and I were having this secret love affair. And one summer I went home and I come back and I find out that she's cheating on me with a very close friend of mine who was a guy. And it just broke my heart. I mean, I, I literally was devastated because not only is the love of my life, I mean, this woman that I was planning to marry and make my wife and, you know, raise these kids with, had just abandoned me, but then she turns around and she's with my best friend, who's a guy, and we're living in secret. So I had nobody to confide in. I had no one to tell my pain to, and I lost my best friend, my girlfriend, and my future wife, and we're living together. So now I have to see her and him together in, in my apartment. Ooh. Yes, wow. and so I was, I was completely, I, that was, probably one of the darkest places ever in my life of just just miserable just 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 pain suffering heartache hopelessness and it it caused me to have some very very dark thoughts the first thought was i'm going to kill him and i'm going to kill her and so i actually you know plotted to to kill them and the only reason i didn't kill him is because i was like well i'm probably going to get caught and i don't want to go to jail I had been watching Law and Order and all these kind of like shows. <laughs> I mean, that's not funny, but that's facts. Is that I had been watching like Law and Order trying to figure out how can I get away with this? And if anybody's ever watched Law and Order, you know they never get away with it. No, they don't. They there's, always get caught. <laughs> there's fingerprints, there's a hair, there's a witness, there's something that's left behind. And so, you know, I thought to myself, okay, well, if I can't kill them, then I'm gonna kill myself. And I just want to end the, I just want to end the pain. I mean, seeing the person that you've spent three years with, the person you had your first time with, 
the person that you've loved and lived with just evaporate is just was devastating. So again, from a law and order episode, I saw where someone had, and again, this is a trigger warning for anyone. I saw where, you know, someone was soaking their wrist in water, warm water to kind of soften the skin. And so I was going to, you know, cut my wrist. And so I'm soaking my, my wrist. I'll go to the kitchen, grab a knife. And I, I just get on my knees and I'm just like, I, I'm tired. I just remember saying, I'm so tired. I just can't anymore. And as I'm going to cut my wrist, the phone rings. And I don't know why I picked the phone up, but I was like, you know what? If I'm going to die, I might as well just pick up the phone one last time. I pick up the phone and it's my sister. And she's on the phone crying. And she's just like, I just had a bad feeling that something was going to happen to you. And I wanted to call you. And I'm just like, I'm going to kill myself. And so she's like, no, no, no. So she calls my mom over to the phone. And my mom picks up on the other, on the other phone. That's when, you know, we weren't on cell phones back then, right? So we had house phones. So my mom picks up the other phone and was just like, we love you. We love you. We're going to come and pick you up. Don't do it. And I'm just like, if you come up here to my school, you're going to find a dead body. Like, I, I, I just can't take it anymore. And my mom just kept saying, I love you. I love you. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm just like, just, just, just leave me alone. I hang up the phone and I just cried out Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do, Jesus. I'm so tired. I have no idea. I hadn't been going to church any time where I was at college. I don't know why I cried out Jesus. I mean, I know why now, because probably my mother was at home praying for me in Cleveland, but I just cried out Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this peace, this this calmness came over me. It was like everything was so quiet and still. And I just felt this peace come over me like, it's going to be okay. Like, don't do it. I got you. I got you. And this piece, I didn't hear anything audible, but I just felt that it was going to be okay. His name brought me peace and it was just something wonderful. So I just remember just feeling this euphoric peace that I just can't describe it. And I just wind up coming to. So I had eventually, you know, passed out or fell asleep. And I just remember coming to and the knife was a couple of feet in front of me. And I just got up, put the knife back in the drawer, got in the shower, just took a heavy breath and went to bed. And I felt like a completely new person. So I don't know if that's what my salvation was, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I had an encounter with the Lord. He had come in and heard my cry and he answered that cry. He just came in and brought me peace. And then all of a sudden I had like this hope that it's going to be okay. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I just knew that something had changed and that I was going to be okay. And so spring and, and, and summer came again and I wind up just, I went a complete 180 and became self-righteous. So now I'm telling everybody, you're going to hell. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sins you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And so people started to kind of reject me and was like, how are you telling me this when you were the one at the parties, you were drinking and doing this, you were doing all of that. And now all of a sudden you telling us, you know, to, to repent and go to church and accept Jesus. I literally became like this Jesus freak, but it was all truth and no love. Again, I didn't have, I wasn't discipled. I was winging this thing called Christianity. I didn't know what to do. And so when people started rejecting me, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to pull back and and tell the truth with love. Because I wasn't a mature Christian. I had just right. become one. I had this experience and I, I, I it's like I knew the truth and I didn't know how to express it properly. Um, so, so then when I went like complete 180 on people, I was just like hitting people over the head with the Bible. And when I got rejected, people were just like, no, no, no. So then that made me kind of like pull back and I sunk back into sin. I wind up at that time. Again, I'm a little bit older than you, Eric. Not by too much, though. No, hold <laughs> up. You you young and spry. Don't don't tell. Oh, that. I'm we, young at heart for sure. Yeah, but <laughs> but so I remember like chat rooms that just started. So this is early 2000s, early 2000s. Actually, it was it was I graduated in 2000. So this was like nine, the year of 99 to 2000 school year. So chat rooms had just started 
And I started getting on chat rooms, just trying to connect with people. I wound up connecting connecting with another young lady. And we started like uh, this long distance relationship. She came up from her school. We spent some time together. I visited her school and we became, you know, officially girlfriends. And once I graduated, I moved back home and I'm just looking at my life. It's like, what are you doing? Are you going to continue with this or what? And I just called her and said, you know what? I can't do this. You know, I love you. This is what I literally said to her. I said, you know what? I love you, but I love God more and I can't do this anymore. So I dumped her and started just going to church. I went and found a local church in Cleveland Heights. I had gotten baptized and just went went full in. You know, I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. And then I believe I did that for about a year. And then 9-11 happened. So 2001. So I get, in, I get connected with this life group. And this is really important because... You know, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And, and the Bible talks about how, you know, that people will blaspheme the name of the of the Lord because of hypocrisy. Right. So I got connected to this small group. And again, I'm a young Christian with no guidance, but I'm going to church. I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing what I think to do is best. And I go to this small group and they're giving out, it was a ladies group. So they were doing like nails and manicures and they were doing pedicures. And I was just like, you can do my you know, nails, my, my hands, but not my feet. And as they're painting each other's nails and feet, they're gossiping about people in the church. They're gossiping about the pastor. They're gossiping about the pastor's wife. They're gossiping about other ladies in the church. And then they start gossiping about this guy who they think is gay. And they're just like, yeah, look at the clothes he wears. Look how he walks. And it just turned me completely off. So I just was like, I can't confess my sins to these people. I can't bear my soul to these folks. Like, is this what church is all about? That people just sit around gossiping about each other? And then they come to church and smile at each other's face and pretend that everything's all good? So it completely turned me off. And I was just like, I can stay in bed for this. Like I can keep my money, sleep in on Sundays, and not have to deal with these fake and phony people. So it completely repelled me from anything that had to do with church. And I completely backslid and just went back into sin. So I went back into sin. I was just like, I might as well have fun. I'm young, and I don't want to be a part of this, and I'm just done with it. So I went back into sin. I didn't necessarily like go back into the lifestyle of you know, that, but I just started partying. So I got a part-time job. So I would sleep all day and then work second shift at this part-time job, living with my parents. So it was easy. It was easy for me to just slip away because my mom and dad were working. And by the time they came home, I was already gone. And by the time I came home from second shift, they were already asleep. So I could get high before work because it was a, you know, it was a part-time job. So you didn't really have to <laughs> do too much. You know what I mean? Just show up. And uh, that was half the battle. Right. So, so I would, you know, just get high before work, go to work, get high at work. Some, some of us would just leave, you know, lunch break and smoke and come back. And then after work, go to the bar, hang out, smoke, drink. And then I get home at one o'clock and pass out and do it all over again. And I did that for like three or four years. So then I decided I need to do something. The computers are starting to take off. Let me go back to school. So I went back to college to get into the IT field. So I went back to school for IT from 2004 to 2006. And then six months later, I, I graduated with a, a degree in computer networking. I got a job six months later. And that job was a blessing because I, I had been looking for a job for the last six months and, and I couldn't find a job and I was starting to get depressed and I was tired of hearing no. And again, this was before age of the computer. So, you know, I'm looking in the one ads in the, in the paper trying to find a job. And my older sister said, hey, there's a job fair at Cleveland State. Let's go. And I was like, I don't feel like going. You know, I, I'm tired of hearing no. She says, well, give me your resume and I'll shop your resume around. And she found this booth that was for an IT company. She gave them my resume. They called me the very next day. I had an interview. And they said, hey, can you start Monday? 
and I've been working there ever since. So it was a blessing to have my sister support me and say, hey, if you don't feel like going, I'll go for you. So, you know, I'm working at this job and not going to church, just partying, right? So once I got this official job, it was eight to five. It made it harder to party, but I found a way, <laughs> to be quite honest. We always find a way to sin. Yeah, right, I, I, I found a way because it was like, you know, I just wanted to have fun. Like I said, I was still young, still in my 20s, and just just thought that that was what people do. You know, I'm single, no kids. I'm working this job. Like, that's what you do. You work hard, you play hard. And so that was my mentality. And then one day I'm at home and, my, and I eventually move out of my parents' house. Once I got this full-time job, I would still have my part-time job. So I would work eight to five and then go to my part-time job six to 10. So I was working Monday through Friday and then I had to work on Saturday mornings. So I saved up enough money, moved out of my parents' house and got my apartment moved to Lakewood and I go to the mailbox one day and there's a letter from my sister. So I'm like, what is she writing me? I open up this letter and the first words on there is what happened. And as I continue to read, it's my big sister saying, you know, you were on fire for the Lord. I remember you telling me about Jesus. I remember you quoting scriptures to me. I remember you telling me and mom how excited you were about Jesus and how, you know, he had changed your life. What happened? And throughout this whole letter, she kept asking, what happened? What happened? You were on fire for the Lord. You had inspired me to go back to church. What happened? What happened? And as I'm reading these words, my eyes are tearing up and the words started jumping off the page. It was almost like a 3D, like it, it, it was just like, I'm focusing on what happened. So I, so I had to sit down. Like it took me so off guard that I sat down in my chair and I thought, what happened? Why did I stop going to church? Because right now, at this time, it had been seven years since I had been in church, since the early 2000s. And now it's 2007, almost 2008. And I'm like, yeah, what happened? Why did I stop going to church? And then I remembered it was the gossip from these ladies. And I just felt in my heart, it was like, that's not me. I felt God say, they're not me. They're not me. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Like, you left me because of them, but they're not me. That's real. And I just, I just start bawling. I just started bawling. I was like, I'm so sorry, God. So right there in my living room, I repented and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I left you, you know? And I just felt like he was like, I, but I haven't left you. Come back. Come back. And so in the letter that my sister wrote me, and I just want to just give a shout out. I don't know if she'll ever ever hear this broadcast, but I'm hoping as 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 Eric's you know followers continue to grow, and I've told her this on many occasions, but but it helps to have somebody in your corner to support you, to point out what happened to you, because so many times people are afraid they don't want to rock the boat, or they don't want to seem negative, or they don't want to preach to you. I'm glad my sister said something. She saw that I was going down a dark road. And she had the courage to say, what happened? What happened? And so reading that letter in the, at the end of it, she says, hey, I found a new church that I'm going to, and I'd love to invite you to come to church. Just one time, just come one time. And so I, I wind up calling her and just saying, thank you for sending it to me. Give me the address of the church and I'll come. And so I went to the church and there was nobody in that church that looked like me or my sister. Like? <laughs> Like you mean height wise? What you talking? I mean color. I mean wow, you got jokes. No, we ain't got video. I need you to be specific. Yes, I mean color wise and age wise. Okay. Color wise and age wise. So it was a Pentecostal church. I would probably say the average age was about sixty five to seventy. All of those good people were from the holler in Virginia. So these people were real God fearing speaking in tongues, run around the church, fearing Pentecostal people. And when I walked in, I was like, this is the church my sister is going to? Like, wait a minute. But then I heard the preaching and the music, and they kept talking about the blood. And I love Pentecostal songs because they talk about the blood. They talk about the cross. And they sing those old, old school, you know, spirit-filled songs and so it just captured me when I walked in and they were singing about the blood the blood the blood 
I, it just captured me. And so I, I never, I didn't leave. So I had been there for, I want to say two years and then just got heavily involved in the church. So I started teaching adult Bible study. I got into the choir. So I was singing in the choir. And then two other young ladies that were there, we started learning about the way of the master. And we started this street ministry because we were the, like, I was one of the youngest people in the church. That's how, I mean, there were some kids, but as far as like young adults, I was the young adult. You know, I was like 20, maybe, no, 30, 31 in my early 30s, late 20s. And so it was me and a couple other young ladies who were, you know, mid 25s to, to, to 30. And everybody else was 60, 70, 80 years old. And so we started this street ministry and we would go out and just witness to people. And we had studied the way of the master for a few weeks, got our confidence built up, got the blessing of the pastor, and we just hit the streets. I mean, we were laying hands on people. There was, I mean, there was just like a boldness. I remember this boldness that came over us. So we would pray and we would fast and then we'd go out. We would go to West 25th because we knew, okay, if we're going fishing, we need to go where the fish are. And West 25th every Saturday was packed because there's shopping, there's restaurants. And so we would go to West 25th and just sit at the bus stop because people couldn't leave because you're waiting for the bus. You can't go. (laughs) So we had them trapped. We we had them trapped at the bus stop. And we would, you know, just based off the material and the program of the way of the master, they teach you how to you know, bring up spiritual things and how to, you know, you know, start to have those conversations with strangers. And it was just a beautiful thing. So we did that for a little bit. And we also had a a nursing home ministry. So I was involved in that. So I think it was, I don't know if it was every second or third Sunday, we would go to the nursing home and we would preach the gospel there and we would lay hands on them and, you know, ask for healing and and, and try to meet the needs of of the folks in the nursing home. And so I just loved that. I just loved being in the house of God. I loved being used and serving his people. And it just, it just, it just gave me, I mean, I just, it just gave me life. You know, it just gave me just this, just, just this energy that, that I just can't describe. Better than the drugs that I was taking because it was on something real and something true, you know? So after that, you know, I, I, I realized looking back that I didn't set boundaries for myself because I did have an incident where I stumbled and I think it was because looking back on it that I, we were doing so much for the Lord that Satan set a trap and I didn't see that, you know, there was, there was another person there that was a young lady and we started spending time together, right? It was first, Hey, teach me this verse or, you know, you know, so many verses, how do you memorize this? And I would be calling her and talking about the Lord, but then it was, you know, what movies do you like? What, you know, whatever else she would be asking me. Right. And it was, it was started to develop into a friendship and I didn't see the warning signs. I didn't see, I didn't have any guardrails set up. It was, Oh, we're all in church together. Like she saved, I'm saved, but she was a young Christian and I was still fairly a young Christian on fire for the Lord, but I didn't see the warning signs that, okay, Janice, you know, even though you're saved and you're filled with the Holy ghost and even though you are teaching and preaching and in the choir, you still have some tendencies and you need to set boundaries. I didn't have somebody mentoring me to tell me that. I thought it was all good, but the Bible says, check where you stand lest you fall. I wasn't checking where I was standing. I wasn't checking the conversations because then it would be like, you know, these, then we'd be joking about things. And then the jokes would turn to kind of like a little off color jokes. And these little things were slipping in. And then it was like, hey, let's go to my friend's house and play cards. And then half of her friends were drinking and smoking. So it was like I would start hanging out with this young lady who was in the church, but she was also a young Christian and still had friends that were not living the godly lifestyle. So I'd go hang out with her and her friends were drinking and smoking and this and that. And so I started to kind of like slowly but surely dip back into that lifestyle. Not that I was drinking and smoking. But we started to develop a relationship. And then I just, I don't even know how it happened, to be honest. I wind up slipping up and messing around with her. And I just, I just was so heartbroken that after all of this years and all of this love that God had shown me and and coming after me and chasing after me and 
rescuing me and healing me and loving me and, and, and being in my corner and protecting me that I could do this to him. And so we wind up having this relationship for, I want to say like maybe a little less than a year, but it was another, again, it was this hidden relationship. So I'm singing in the choir. I'm teaching adult Bible study, but I'm having this relationship with this young lady. And I just was like, you know what? Enough is enough. And I was like, I cannot do this anymore. And the Lord told me, you have to confess your sins. Like you have to confess. And I was like, confess what? And he was like, you, if, if you don't confess, then this hidden sin is going to keep going because nobody knows. And he pretty much was telling me, tell on yourself, tell on yourself and I will be with you. So I'm crying in the shower like, no, God, I, I can't. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. They're going to kick me out. I can't. I can't. And he was like, you have to. And I'm having this conversation with God in the shower. And he's like, you have to. You have to confess because confession will is good for the soul. So I talked to the pastor and I didn't tell him I was having relations with this girl, but I told him I need to confess that I've, I have a problem with this lifestyle and I need help. And so he was like, are, are you sure? And I was like, yes, I'm sure. The Lord has told me I need to confess. So, so I, I write it all out. I go before the church and I'm talking about it was a packed house. And I go before the church and I, I say, you know what? I have a problem with this lifestyle. I believe that I'm saved and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, but I have a problem and I need help. And, you know, all my life I've heard messages about how, you know, people in the homosexual community are dying and going to hell. But I've never heard anybody say that they can get out, that there's love that they can repent and be changed. And I'm like, if we want to start accepting these people in this church, we have to have a heart of love and compassion. And we have to be willing to accept people that don't have a similar background, that don't look like us, that don't have the same experiences, but are trapped in sin. And I got to stand it. Like people stood up, started clapping. And it was just, when I finished and sat down, it was like this weight came off of me. And that person was in the audience and it was like, we're done. And that's what happened. It was like, we're done. And because I couldn't go back to that. And I think so many people's prayers, because prayer changes things. I think when people realize what I was struggling with, it allowed them to pray for me in that manner. And so that was, you know, 12 years ago. And I would say I've been good ever since. But I I mean, you know, I'm I'm still not perfect, obviously, and I've had some challenges with, with some other things. But with respect to having relationships, I completely cut that off and was like, I'm done. And, you know, God was right. When I confessed that, it was this weight off of me and, 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 and it really just helped me. And after that, so many people came up to me and was like, I never knew that about you. And I have a cousin like that. Now I know how to have a conversation or can you help me have a conversation? I got a niece like that. I have a daughter like that, and I've been so ashamed to tell people because it is taboo and it is, you know, so ungodly. I've been ashamed to tell somebody, but I have a daughter. I have a cousin. I have a niece. I have a friend. I have a neighbor. Can you help me? And it just it just spiraled into this domino effect of me being able to minister to the people in the congregation and then them in turn being able to minister to those people in their lives. So just God is good. You know, he can use anything, any situation to turn it into good. So, you know, that's 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 my testimony with respect to, you know, my background, my church background. Yeah, I was I was taking some notes while while you were talking because you hit on a lot of things. I think discipleship in the American church is something we could definitely step our game up in because it's almost one of those things that we talk about. And it's like, oh, yeah, discipleship, we got to do it. What does that look like? That's not. Like, okay, if you do this, 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 and this, it's like that needs to be for the individual because you need to figure out what does this person need from me? If I'm, if I'm going to disciple them, what does that actually look like? Cause it's not going to always look the same for everybody. Right. Yeah. There's some foundational things. Yeah. Reading the Bible, getting involved in church, getting involved in connect groups. But like, do they need to go out for coffee? Like, do I need to meet them at the gym? Like, what questions do I really need to be asking them? Am I looking for signs of like, what does it look like when that person is really struggling? Like yeah. when they say certain things, what is their heart really saying? Like I'm talking like really get knee deep into the nitty gritty of people. I think that 
I'm not trying to say we turn this into a 12 step program, but it's almost like discipleship. It's like, okay, let's take this Bible study. Let's take this class. I might call you once every now and again to check in and say you're doing, but sometimes that's not enough. Cause that's what happened to me. I didn't have boundaries set up and I was yeah. in the world. I was fat. I was moving fast. It was like, I couldn't get discipled fast enough. I could have used four pastors boxing me in when I first got saved, but I mean, hands on, hands on. Like, are you really catering the disciple? Catering is not the right word. Tailoring that discipleship to the need of that individual versus umbrella of discipleship. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, to this day, I don't have any, I don't have an accountability partner. I don't have someone pouring into me, which is why, you know, I'm so adamant. We've had conversations of, you know, who, who's discipling these young adults. Now I know we have a young adult pastor and wife and they're, you know, phenomenal people, but is someone pouring into them on a regular basis? You know, is someone sharing their lives with them? I don't know what I needed because I'm, I'm the pupil, right? It's like, it's hard to, it's, you know, you, there's this saying, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. So as a young Christian, I didn't know what I needed because I was in the word. I was reading the Bible. It was more of that lifestyle of Christianity. Like, okay, I've read the Bible. Now what? Okay, well, what does it mean to you and how do you live that out? So so I didn't know what I needed, but I just, there was nobody watching me. So I was kind of like figuring it out myself. You know, after reading so many different books, you know, the guardrails book, you know, I, I didn't, I needed guardrails. I needed somebody to say, hey, look, what are your triggers? And, you know, when you feel a certain type of way, how do you respond? And, okay, so if you, you know, if you get a thought into your head, what do you do with that thought? Do you meditate on it? Mm -hmm. Do you read? Do you pray? Do you fast? What do you, you know, Joyce Myers used to say all the time, you know, what do, uh, think about what you're thinking about. And she used to call it stinking thinking. But it was like I never had anybody to call me on that or ask me, what, what books are you reading? What verses are you reading? How do you feel about that? And let's walk, let me walk you through that and show you how to apply that to your life. Or if you're feeling some type of way, give me a call and I'll walk you through that or I'll help you. Or hey, let's go out for let's 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 go out to to go bowling or let's go out into the movies or you know, let's spend some time together and just put a shield around me. I didn't have that because I'm a very social person, right? So it was like when you're in church and you just see these people on Sunday. Well, what happens on Monday? I didn't have, you know, what happens on Tuesday? What happens on Thursday? So it's like I only had access to these people on Sundays. So it was like when I'm struggling on Monday, I don't have anybody's phone number. I don't have anybody I can call. I didn't really consider them friends. It was people I went to church with. And I think that is a big problem. It's these are the people I go to church with, but they're not friends. They're just people I'm going to church with. And I think community is a big thing to surround people with that support system because one person can't do it by themselves, right? We have lives, we have families, we have jobs, we have other hobbies, we have other friends, but I think a community of people surrounding new believers, especially until they at least get a strong foundation. I would say those first two years are critical, maybe even three years, those first few years in a Christian a new Christian's life are critical to their development into that lifestyle of Christianity. I'm going to say as long as they're still drinking milk, yeah. it's critical because it's no different. Like those, you are like a child again, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter how old you are. But I would say as long as they're still drinking in that spiritual milk, that development stage is, is critical, whether that's six months or whether it's three, however long it is, because you're, you're a sponge at that point. And you know more about yesterday than you do about how you're living right now. You know what I mean? Talking yeah. about people who kind of live in a world like we did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think it was a challenge because I did go head first, right. meaning I was involved in so many things that people just assumed I had it together. And I, and, and at some point I did, but again, I'm, I'm not perfect. And so I still had some things I needed to shake off. I was being sanctified and I wasn't, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm still not there yet. Right. Whereas it's an ever, ever growing relationship, ever changing relationship. We're constantly being pruned and, you know, getting rid of those things that, that well, God is getting rid of those things that, that he needs to get rid of. And so I was excelling in some things, 
but I was failing at others, right? Like I could memorize scripture because I was in the word. And I think a lot of times I was reading the word to teach, right? So it was like I was preparing for lessons. So I would read scriptures to take notes to be able to tell somebody else, but I wasn't receiving it for myself. I've said this, and you, you've probably heard me say this because we've been in ministry together for a long time mm -hmm. now. To minister out of your overflow is nowhere near the same thing as reading to teach. If I'm reading something to teach, I'm reading it very differently. I'm checking for authenticity. I'm checking Greek. I'm checking Hebrew. I'm looking in different translations. I'm making sure I don't speak heresy, whatever the case. I'm making sure that I'm representing the scripture the way as an ambassador of the gospel should. I'm going to read, I'm going to read this scripture the way that it's written and make sure. And I'm, when I'm reading to teach, I'm reading it differently than to just fill up yeah. my cup. I think those are two yeah. very different, two very different things. Yeah. And that could be some of the questions that a disciple, a person that's discipling someone else would ask. Like, how often do you read just for you, for you to have your own personal relationship with the Lord as opposed to preparing for somebody else? Exactly. So those are some of the questions that maybe could be asked of, you know, a senior a more senior Christian to try to just pinpoint because it's easily to hide, right? If I know a lot of scripture and I'm singing in the choir and I'm out here witnessing and I'm out here working with the kids and I'm, you know, ushering and greeting and I'm doing all these things, it's easy to hide behind that and not really have substance underneath that. So, so yeah, man, that's, 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 that's my story with respect to, you know, how I grew up. Um, and I'm just so thankful for my mom because, you know, even though I don't remember the things that I was taught, it was seeds being planted that someone else watered and that God gave the increase, you know. So it's just been a roller coaster of a ride, I will say that. And, you know, I read the Bible sometimes and we look at the Israelites and it's just like, okay, God was a a, a cloud in the day and a fire at night. He freed you from bondage. You saw all these 10 plagues and yet you still betrayed him. And let you still doubt him. And yet you still made a golden calf. And the Lord says to me, but that's you too. Like I rescued you. I saved you. But you're still out here drinking. And you're still out here smoking. And you're still out here hooking up. So the Israelites are our are, are example, right? They're us. Us. <laughs> the Israelites it's are them. us. Thank you. You know what I mean? It's like this foolishness of. You know, you forget who you are, which is why we have to keep reading and we have to keep praying and we have to keep fasting. Like I my problem is I thought I had arrived because I was being good. You know, I was doing all the things I was, you know, like I said, in the choir and going to the nursing home ministry and witnessing and teaching the kids and doing this and doing that. And God, you know, check where you stand lest you fall. And I wasn't. I wasn't feeding myself. I wasn't feeding myself. And, and, and so I've recognized that. And when I start to feel dry and I just went through, you know, a season of that, I'm in a season right, right now of that because of my, my current career of being on the road and traveling and dealing with so many issues that it becomes exhausting when you come home. So it's like, when do you find that time? And, you know, looking back on my life and seeing the traps and seeing the patterns, it's like, okay, the last time this happened, what happened? So look, get up, get up early in the morning, pray fast, get back on track. You haven't lost it yet. You haven't gone off the deep end yet. You haven't drifted too far yet, but you see the patterns. So get back, get back to what you need to get back to, you know, confess your sins, pray fast. Get around some God-fearing people, you know, and, and have conversations and read and, and meditate and, and talk about it, you know? So that's one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to, to do this podcast because it's like a reality check for me and for anybody that's listening, right? That you are never too saved not to stumble and fall. And we have, it's a continuous thing. It is a lifestyle. It is not a point in time that, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'm good. It's no, I'm saved and I'm a Christian and this is a lifelong journey until the Lord comes back or until I pass away. Until he comes and gets me or I go and see him. It's a continual need for him. And that was an arrogance on my part. 
now that I think about it and I'm saying it out loud, it was a it was a arrogance that I'm good. I'm ushering, I'm greeting, I'm serving the kids, I'm doing street ministry, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm good. And it was like, no, you're not good. You're not, you're not, because you're cussing people out in traffic. You're, you know, there's signs that the walls are cracking. And if the walls are cracking, you need to check the foundation. And it's a reality check. It's a reality check. So I will always need the Lord. I will always need to read. I will always need to meditate. I will always need to fast. I will always need to pray. I will always need to cry out. I will always need to be in church. There is not a time where there's a break on that. There's there's no break. There's no break on that. And that's a realization. It is a lifestyle. It is not a religion. Christianity, in all honesty, Eric, Christianity is the reality of the world. It is not a religion. I'll take that back. It's not even a lifestyle. It is the reality of how the world really is, that we are all sinners. The world is broken because of sin, and a Savior has come to save us from ourselves. And not only save us from ourselves, but save us from his wrath. That's what he's really saving us from because he is coming. He is coming to judge the world in righteousness, and he's really actually trying to save us from the wrath that's to come. And until we understand that, that it is a constant battle, then, then, then we'll lose these little battles. I mean, we win the war, but he wants us to win some of these battles too. But that comes with maturity. It comes with confessing. It comes from keeping it real and um, just putting in, the, putting in the time and the effort and praying and being humble and saying, I need you. I know a million scriptures, but God, I need you. 